in this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, How to Become a Pen Tester, Part 1. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you'll learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to become a pen tester. Joining me today to discuss this is Andrew Morris, researcher at Endgame. Andrew, how are you? Hey, I'm great. It's so good to be here, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, so first question, this is a toughie. What is a penetration tester? Ah, yeah. Now that's a it's an insanely valid question. And actually, believe it or not, you're going to get kind of a different answer in 2016. Or, geez, it's 2017 now. It's you're going to get, I can't even believe that. Um, you're going to get a kind of different answer depending on who you ask. Uh, so just... Generically, a penetration tester is really just somebody that demonstrates risk by exploiting vulnerabilities in the same way as actual bad guys. So it just means that you know a company out there wants to know what their risk exposure looks like. They want to know how vulnerable they are and where the vulnerabilities are. So what they're going to do is they're going to hire a pen tester uh, and they're going to basically say, you know, we want you to attack our network or we want you to attack this application and we want you to do it the same way that a bad guy would. Um, go and then you you have some period of time to attack the organization, document vulnerabilities, and then at the end you write up a big giant report with recommendations on how to fix everything, um, and you deliver it to the customer. You want to make sure that they understand everything, and uh, and that's basically a pen tester. So why why would someone want to become a penetration tester? Oh man, that that's a great question. Um, Ooh, that's a, okay, all right. There are like a lot of different levels that you could get into with this. There's like deeply rooted psychological reasons why somebody would want to become a pen tester, uh, all of which are completely valid. I'd say one reason and kind of the obvious one is like, how cool is that, right? Like how cool is it to get paid by a company to do something that's normally blatantly illegal um, you know, and get to do it legitimately with no fear of going to jail whatsoever. It's just super cool. It just feels really cool. Um, I mean, at a, like a deeper level, you know, like some people really just like hacking into stuff. Some people like, you know, feeling like they're smarter than somebody that builds something, which is a terrible reason to uh, become a consultant. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different reasons. I'd say the big one is that it's really cool. Um, it's cool to be in consulting uh, it's also very uncool to be in consulting sometimes. There's a lot of travel, et cetera. I'll get into that later. Um, you get exposed to a lot of things really quickly, a lot of really fun, hard problems. It changes. You do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a, a bunch of different reasons. So morally, there's, I mean, from a moral aspect, what is, a, I guess, what would be a reason for becoming a pen tester? Let's see. So from a moral perspective, if you want to hack into stuff, but you don't want to go to jail or you don't want to ruin anybody's life, you want to do the right thing, right? If you want to do the right thing and you want to help people actually improve their security and stuff like that, uh, it's a great way to do it. Um, there's better ways to do it. If, you're, if your objective is to help the world, uh, then there are definitely better ways to do it than being a pen tester. But, uh, but I would definitely say that... Um, yeah, it's 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 good because you are definitely helping you're helping the world become a more secure place. 
Okay, and you may have touched on this already with your previous answer, but what is awesome about your job? Oh, man. So, like, there's a lot of great things about being a pen tester. Like I said, you get to hack into people's stuff. Uh, there's a lot of, like, problem solving, a lot of critical thinking. There's a lot of, um, uh, like, healthily adversarial um, thinking where it's not adversarial per se, where you want to, you know, like be, you know, mean or rude or dominate somebody, but it's adversarial in that you're really trying to kind of think about and understand a network that somebody designed specifically to protect it. And you want to think of it and you want to try to outsmart the person that either developed the application or developed the network or architected the network, things like that. Some of the other really cool things, I mean, in some different scopes of pen testing and some different kinds of pen testing, you can even do like physical security stuff. You know, there's some customers that want to know what their physical security looks like. So you can, you know, break into a building or, you know, pick locks, uh, do stuff like that. There's some social engineering stuff that's involved. Um, uh, the money is really good in pen testing and consulting, especially if you're good. Um, so that obviously doesn't hurt at all. Um, and if you like, you know, if you like going, if you like working with smart people and if you like going to lots of crazy places and, and, uh, you know, uh, traveling a good bit for work, uh, I would say that's another reason why, um, pen testing is an awesome job. So you, you've already mentioned a few, but what are some of the different types of pen testing? Oh yeah. So, um, depending on the shop that you work for, um, like the, you know, the actual company that you're a pen tester for or organization, you're going to, you're going to have different types of pen tests, right? And so, uh, there are going to be different focuses, you know, maybe a network pen test, maybe an external network pen test, maybe an internal network pen test, uh, maybe a, a web application pen test, maybe a thick client pen test, like a mobile application pen test. There's a lot of stuff like that as well. Um, there's also, you know, when you sort of transcend the notion of pen testing, um, and get into like really serious stuff like adversary emulation, which is basically, you know, you can think of it as like red teaming. Uh, that's where like you're pen testing an organization and nobody internal to the organization even knows that the pen test is going on, except for maybe like one or two people that have authorized it. That's how to get like those really, really realistic assessments. And that's how you really exercise the defenders and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a, there's a ton of different kinds of pen tests and a bunch of different kinds of pen testing. You can specialize in any one of those if you think that they're more interesting. Um, but depending on the kind of company that you work for, you might just get thrown into whatever gig the customer pays for at the time, cause you got to pay the bills. So your boss might come into your office one day and say, all right, Morris, you're doing a wireless pen test, you know, next month. And you're thinking, oh my God, I don't know that much about wireless. I've got a month to learn a ton about wireless. You know, my specialty is network or whatever. Something like that. Right. And that, that's actually what was going to be my next question is, is uh, specializing. And it, 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 I see that a lot, kind of, especially on social media. It's kind of funny to see people talking about their uh, pen testing gigs it, during you know their pen test on social media. Obviously, they're not giving away who they're going after. Or anything, right. But right. I just, I find that, you know, I, I love seeing that too. Uh, in fact, someone I'm following now is like on a pen test and he's like, I'm going to live tweet the pen test while we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> and he's not giving away, you know, he's not giving away anything. He's being smart sure, about it. Sure, but sure. I do see a lot of that too, where people, you know, there, there are people talking about doing a network pen test and then they have to go do like a physical side pen test. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, as long as you don't actually say the name of the customer and you don't really get anything away with that, you can you can really get get away with a tremendous amount uh, in terms of you know talking about the kinds of assessments that you're doing. Opsec, and that actually just gave me a great idea for another podcast. What is Opsec? Oh yeah, oh yeah, man! Don't even don't even get me started. I could talk about Opsec for man. I'll come back next week. We'll do we'll do we'll do, we'll do Opsec next week. Yeah. All right. So, what is the worst part of being a pen tester? Oh, there's so many not fun things about being a pen tester. Um, you know, obviously you're going to weigh the goods and the bads. There's, you know, um, there's no such thing as just like the super ideal dream gig forever. The bad side is that you inherit all of the all of the BS of consulting. Uh, and that just means that, you know, you're having to make a bunch of different points of contact happy all the time. Uh, it's not just technical. You have to be able to talk to people. You have to be able to respond to emails timely in a timely way. The biggest thing I would say is the reports. And I'd say probably 90% of pen testers would tell you that. But writing those reports at the end of the week um, is brutal. Uh, you're writing these giant reports. You're documenting all these vulnerabilities. You have, you know, your your kind of like posture analysis or kind of the, the actual discussion depending on what different companies actually call it. When you're talking about what you did in the assessment, it can be, you know, it can be anywhere from 15 pages to, you know, I've, I've written pen test reports that were over a hundred pages long before you've got hundreds of screenshots, all of this stuff. It's grueling. Uh, so just the reporting process, I mean, it sucks. It's just something that is just not fun. Um, but at the end of the day, the customer is not paying for you to do some crazy ninja voodoo exploit. They're paying for that report. So the report is the most important part of the assessment. That's why I always say the most important toolkit in a uh, the most important tool in the pen testers toolkit is Microsoft Office. And I know it sounds super lame, but it's completely true. Uh, the, the report is the most important part, but writing it sucks. Uh, the other thing that is pretty grueling in terms of I'd say two more big things that are that are not fun about being a pen tester. The first is, uh, it can also be a good thing, but the travel. You have to travel a tremendous amount uh, a lot of the time for most um, organizations because you have to go on site. So, you know, you're looking at anywhere from 30 to 75% travel, just going to a bunch of different places. And this isn't like fun, like, ooh, I'm in New York City travel. This is like you land on, you know, Sunday morning or, you know, Sunday evening, Monday, Monday morning, you work for 12 hours or 14 hours and then you're exhausted at the end of the day. So you don't want to go downtown. You don't want to go to the bars. You just want to go straight back to your hotel and pass out. You do the whole thing over again. Um, so the travel can be really grueling. And then the third thing I would say, and this is just a, mostly a, a piece about personal preference, but one of the things that I found really grueling about consulting is it's really hard sometimes to get an overarching sense of job satisfaction for me, or it was for me. And I, I know I've talked to a lot of people that it's been the same way, where what you're doing is a lot of the times in consulting, um, especially in security consulting, you're kind of parachuting into a problem that you don't really understand. And you've got two weeks or three weeks to solve that problem. And then you just like backflip out of the situation. So you don't really get that satisfaction of having like one big giant piece one big giant problem that takes you six months to solve or a year to solve or watching, you know, an organization come together or a problem come together or a product come together or something like that. That's one of the things that I it was one of the things that really drove me out of consulting was that 
it was just basically kind of constant problem solving on a smaller scale or on like a week or two week long basis. Um, and you didn't really get that big problem solving, um, you know, satisfaction at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that also seems to be some frustration, too, along those lines of you do a client and then the next year you come back and do the same client and they you've had the same issue or you find oh, the same oh, problem. Yeah. No, that would happen all the time. And the worst, the worst is you do it and you go. And I, I'm not going to lie. I've been guilty of this before. I have I have oh God, I can think of a couple of times before when I went on an assessment and I found the same finding that I had found the year before and I went back. And I just copied and pasted that finding from the report the year before. I just pasted it straight into the report with a little note that says, like, you know, please note that this present this vulnerability was still present last year's report, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it that part can be really grueling. Right. So yeah. with, with the travel, why are you traveling? Can't you just do this all from I mean, outside of physical pen tests, but can't you just pretty much do all this from from your house or your apartment? Yeah, um, generally the answer to that is yes. From a, from a technical perspective, the answer is almost certainly yes. Uh, the big thing is for internal pen tests, when you're assessing the network of an internal, uh, when you're assessing an internal network where you have to be on site okay. to plug in, obviously there's gonna be technical workarounds where you can have like a Dropbox that you just ship the customer, they plug it in, you rem- it calls back to you, you remote into it, and then you pen test the network like that. Um, the problem is that that sucks for a number of different technical reasons. Uh, like, you know, it's, it, it is not fun from a technical perspective, pivoting every single thing that you do back. But I mean, Hey, that's how actual bad guys operate. So whatever. Um, another reason would be wireless, something like that. Another reason would be honestly, if the customer just didn't trust whatever the thing that they wanted to be assessing, uh, leaving their network or having you accessible from the network. For example, um, I tested a, I used to do some mobile security work and I tested, um, I did an assessment back in 2014. Um, it was somewhere very far away and it was for a biometric authentication system. And this was for a product that hadn't come out yet. And so we were doing uh, a mobile security assessment for something that like the world didn't even know existed. We had NDA and all that stuff, but we had to go on site because there's no way they would have allowed those products to actually leave the walls of their headquarters. And likewise, it could be the same thing for source code or something like that. If you're doing like a source mm-hmm. code review for a big product or for an operating system, you know, if Windows, if Microsoft wants you to assess a big chunk of the Windows operating system and they have the source code, they're not going to let you, you know, pull the source code back on your laptop <laughs> from home. You're going to have to do Dropbox. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, can you just share that over with me real quick? I swear I'll <laughs> save it off. So yeah, you do you do have to go on site for, for a lot of things like that. Okay. So what's the longest report you've written? Uh, 130 pages. Oh my goodness. Jeez. Yeah. What's the I shortest? Remember, oh, the shortest report, actually, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, the shortest report I wrote, so you're gonna have boilerplate text. Um, it's, it's, I mean, basically just all your templates, your branding stuff, your title slide, or your title page, table of contents, you know, all the, you know, hokey branding crap that they have in the reports that you just have to put in there. And then there's going to be, you know, like the meat of, you know, you're going to have your executive summary. You're going to have like the the finding summary and all that stuff. So even an empty report is going to be, you know, 12 pages or something like that. Um, shortest report I ever had would have been, you know, 12 pages plus one. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes the customer really just wants to know, 
Um, they just, they want, it's very rare to have a really short report. Sometimes they just want you to sign off that you've done something. Uh, a lot of the times, even if you have zero findings, you're still gonna have, you know, 10, 20, 30 pages of all the things that you tried so that they have confidence in your report. And so you're actually documenting all of the different use cases that you tried. Um, yeah, so I mean, more often than not, you're really not ever gonna have a report that's super short, but I remember having a couple of times things would come up where we were just basically accrediting that we had done something. So it was basically just, I, you know, I certified that blah, 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 blah. All right. Well, so my listeners would probably hurt me if I didn't ask, you had a story that you're about to tell for the longest report that you ever did. I did have, I did have a story. I was going to say this was, um, I remember this organization really well. This was industrial machinery provider. Um, and, uh, their network was like Swiss cheese. It was so bad. Um, I remember uh, it was me and one of my coworkers, and it was the first time I had ever gone on site with this particular coworker. And um, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I just want you to know, I tested these guys last year. Um, I've tested these guys a lot before. Uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of rough." And I was like, "Okay." And we go, and it was a bloodbath. Um, it was just like every, there were like 15 different completely independent ways that we found domain admin over the last <laughs> days, like completely independent. Like, so like at any point, even if they would have fixed the entire thing from start to finish that one thing, we had a completely separate path to domain admin times 15. Um, uh, yeah, just, so that, that one was brutal. And so that the report was probably the hardest part of that whole assessment because there was nothing difficult about pen testing that organization at all. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you title the report 101 ways to break into your network? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I did not do that. But uh, but they did receive the report and they were like, hey, I don't know that this is right. This reports, you know, like 40. This is like a 40 megabyte. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. That's uh, that's right. There's a lot of screenshots in there for yeah, you. Ton of screenshots. <laughs> So what is the what does the day to day look like? Or and maybe we should tackle it this way, like an entire assessment, because I know your day to day can be a little bit different. Oh yeah, sure. No, that's a great question. So basically, what's going to happen is um, at the before the assessment even starts, depending on the organization that you work in, you may or may not participate in the scoping conversation, which is basically the conversation where you have a technical person, a sales guy, and then a representative from the company. They're describing to you at a technical level what they want done and the different technologies that they use, things like that. You're then going to kind of translate, you're gonna ask questions, you're gonna to translate to the sales guy how much time you think it's gonna take, and then he's gonna sell it to them and they're gonna write up, they're gonna write up the contract, the statement of work, and how much time is going to be like the scope of the assessment, you know, it's gonna be a 40 hour, 80 hour, whatever. So that's, that's that you may or may not do that depending on what shop you work for. Um, then you're gonna have like the kickoff call, it's going to be either first thing in the morning, Monday morning, or, you know, maybe Sunday evening or Friday night or whatever. And that's basically just going to be you talking to the points of contact, exchanging logistics information, um, just basically saying, you know, like this is the getting any like testing restrictions, time windows, um, any systems they don't want you to touch, uh, any weird nuances that the network has that they want you to know about because everyone's network is a special snowflake, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so that's really when you're just, you're asking any questions that you have, having a conversation, telling them what your plan is, you know, kind of going through that. And then 
basically, depending on the kind of assessment, I mean, for this, we'll just say for the sake of this conversation, we'll say that it's a, um, we'll say that this is an external network penetration test. So what that's really going to mean is you're going to spend the whole first, let's say you've got, you know, 10 days to do this test. Uh, for me, I am a absolute Nazi about reconnaissance and information gathering. That means that the first, the whole, I mean, like literally the first like two, three days of the assessment, all you're doing is collecting as much information on the target as humanly possible. You're, you know, you want to make sure that you have all of the hosts that are in question. You want to make sure you know every external facing service, whether user interaction or spear phishing or something like that is in scope or not. You also need to map out the employees of the organization, their job titles, you know, the email schema or the email, um, yeah, the email schema of like the actual, you know, is it first initial dot last name at customer.com, whatever. It's all just reconnaissance and information gathering for as long as possible. The reason for that is because you you can't exploit a vulnerability that's running on a service that you don't know about. So you have to just collect as much information as humanly possible. From then, you're really going to kind of go, you know, probably a few days or, you know, we'll say 20 percent. 20 to 30% of the time through the assessment, that's when you're going to have a really good picture of where the vulnerabilities are going to be. Uh, because, you know, if you've been doing it for a little while, you kind of have that intuition about what's, uh, you know, what's running where, what what vulnerabilities are going to be fruitful or not. Um, and you're going to have kind of just that sixth sense. And so that's when you're going to say, oh, you know, I found this weird service running on this port, or here's an exposed JBoss console running on port 8080 on this guy, or here's, you know, whatever. Uh, here's an exposed here's all the exposed admin or the all of the exposed authentication inter interfaces so i can authenticate via ssh here or here's all these web apps or here's whatever so you're really just mapping it out and you're going to start to prioritize where the vulnerabilities are that you think they're going to be and then from there you really just kind of go through each of the vulnerabilities that you think that you found uh try to exploit them try to gain access to the machine uh or to the service running underneath or to the underlying data um and then if you are able to gain access, then you, you know, if you are, for example, able to compromise a machine or get a shell on an internet facing machine, or you spear fish a user and they click it, that's when you probably are going to have to go back to the customer and say, hey, I made a big breakthrough. I found this vulnerability. Do you want me to proceed and move inward towards, you know, inside the network? Or do you want me to just, do you want me to hold back and keep trying to find other, you know, vulnerabilities? Because some customers might get really freaked out about that. Um, it just depends. So then, you know, the whole while you're going, you want to really make sure that you document all the vulnerabilities. The key to writing reports is documenting your vulnerabilities, uh, your findings as you find them. So you're not stuck with binge writing a giant report. Um, and so really, you're just going to go through and make sure that you have all of the you want to write up all the findings that you have. Um, you know, some consultants like to use vulnerability scanners. There's no reason not to if noise isn't an issue. But this is where it becomes kind of more of a, a vulnerability assessment than it is a pen test. Unfortunately, they can kind of melt together sometimes um, with uh, in certain circumstances. Uh, but that's where you're basically going to just try to find all the vulnerabilities that you think are, you know, are, are exploitable or are potentially exploitable or should be fixed. Pose any kind of risk to the customer. From there, you want to try to demonstrate the risk by exploiting them, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, in the last two days, uh, the last day or two, you're really going to want to spend hammering out the report. Um, and that's just going to be taking screenshots of everything. And the rule of thumb in writing a pen test is if you don't have a screenshot or a proof of concept, you can't like the vulnerability never happened. 
so, I mean, you can't report a vulnerability that you weren't able to show that you're able to successfully exploit um, or that you can't at least demonstrate some kind of risk. So, cause you know, the customer is going to come back and say like, well, why do I care about this? And after that, you know, that's when you're going to kind of, uh, categorize all of the risk of the different findings, low, medium, high, critical, whatever. Um, and then you're going to want to just make sure that you have recommendations, uh, actual like feasible recommendations for each of the ones that you found. Um, uh, and you know, you want to make sure that you actually have short, short term recommendations, long term recommendations, uh, justification for that. And then you're going to probably in the last few days or whatever, you're going to have the, the readout call. You deliver the report. You walk through all of the findings and you just want to make sure that the, com- the customer feels good about the value. You want to make sure they don't they understand everything. You want to make sure that they don't have any questions and you want to make sure that they know that they can reach back out to you uh, if they have any questions when they're trying to remediate the findings. And that's basically, you know, um, kind of a higher, higher level view of what the what the week looks like. Mm-hmm. OK. And that will do it for part one. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.